do you not like me right now? Can we even record this if you don't like me? No. I mean, no, we can't record it <laughs> you don't like if me. I don't like you. But I do like you. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Thought Honey Podcast. I'm Andy. And I'm Leah. And we will kick it off with the quote of the day. Leah, this one's from your very favorite book. Yeah. Favorite book? This is this is by far my favorite book, life-changing book. It's called The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. So the quote today is, we accept the love we think we deserve. Isn't that great? I mean, it's a great quote. It's a great quote. It's not a great thing that we do. <laughs> Because <laughs> most of us don't think, I, I don't know, maybe that's not fair to say. I think a lot of us think we don't deserve mm-hmm. love or like mm-hmm. real love, like the good kind. Yeah. And so it kind of sucks that we don't it accept sucks. it even when it's available and yeah. in front of us. This quote, um, when I read the book in high school, this quote stood out to me super strikingly. Like just it, it became sort of a mantra because um, – I felt like I was settling, you know, with relationships in general um, for most of my teenage and young adult life. Yeah, my favorite thing about it is it says we accept the love we think we deserve. It's already there. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if if you're a person who has people around you that love you and that care about you, but you feel unloved and uncared about, Right. That I mean, that sucks. That's just Mm -hmm. it's just sad when it's there and you can't let it in because you don't think that you deserve it. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, it's it's even in something as silly as how we accept or don't accept compliments. Like, you know, that really annoying thing that people do where you give them a compliment and then they start listing off all of the crappy things that they think about themselves where it's like, oh, you're so nice. Oh, well, I smell funny. And. Uh, you know, and they start listing off all these really terrible things. And it's like, no, you just say thank you. Right? Yeah, what's that going to hurt? Just if somebody gives you a compliment and you say, thanks, that means a lot. I appreciate that. What's the worst thing that's going to happen from that? (laughs) Nothing. You might get cocky. Yeah, right? (laughs) No. Head might explode. I feel like I'm being all snarky about this right now, but I really, (laughs) like, I I really do... It... I have feelings about this, about how much it sucks because I've lived it. Mm. And I don't feel like I live it now so much. Like, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place. Like, you love me and I'm like... You've accepted a good love. That's me. Yeah, it's good. Um, But, you know, I've I've done the same thing that you talked about where I've settled for less than what I probably deserved. And, you know, my turning point on that, that's actually something that we probably have in common. My turning point on that was probably right before we Mm -hmm. started dating. Yeah. Same with you. Right. But really it boils down to, from this quote, the idea of what we think we deserve, that matters. So you need to ask yourself, what kind of love do you think you deserve? You need to have a conversation with that, with yourself about that. Yeah. And one other thing is pay attention to what you're actually doing. Because I think it's really hard to actually be aware of this, like cognitively in your own head, like to think about, well, what love do I think I deserve? And, you know, you might have some awareness around that. But I would look at what kind of, I mean, what, what kind of treatment do you tolerate from other people? Mm -hmm. What do you allow other people to say to you? And, you know, um, 
are you the behaviors one that's taken all tolerate. the hits? Yeah, the behaviors you tolerate from the people that you're in relationship with. Mm-hmm. And if you allow people to kind of mistreat you and to, you know, you're treating them way better than they're treating you, you know, and I don't mean like they're just saying mean things to you or whatever. I mean, like, are are you, are you, you know, apologizing for every little thing you do wrong, but this other person never apologizes when they do something wrong mm-hmm. or they do something that hurts you, right? It's it, Watch yourself on things like that. And I think this tends to show up in our behaviors and our patterns in our relationships a lot more than it shows up in our, you know, cognitive awareness or our self-awareness yeah. of what we think we deserve. Yeah, that's a good point. It's time for buzzword. Andy, your turn. All right. Today's buzzword is integrity. Definition one, the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. Definition two, the state of being whole and undivided. Interesting. I've never heard the second definition before. Yeah, and it's int- what's interesting about integrity is everybody has a definition for it. It's true. It's, it's like very everybody... relative, isn't it? Yeah, people are all like, well, integrity is what you do when nobody's watching, or integrity is doing the right thing even when nobody's watching, mm. or, you know, integrity is doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, you've sure. got all these little quips and everything. For me, when I hear integrity, what I think is a person who is going to be morally consistent consistent that's a good word yeah yeah like like for me um predictable so i've been watching basketball the the nba playoffs um in their bubble in orlando right Mm -hmm. now it's crazy they're playing a lot of games they had a quadruple header today four games today four playoff games and it's interesting to watch players interact with the referees and there's nothing that will like get my respect more and like make me enjoy watching a player than somebody who isn't always like arguing with the referees and somebody who's always, you know, they blatantly committed a foul and they're like, no, I didn't. And then somebody does exactly the same thing on the other end. And then they're like, oh, now suddenly I don't think that's a foul. You know, when it was me, Mm -hmm. you know, I thought it was different when it's this person. No, not so much. I, I just... You know, I, I think it's interesting how it... Sh- and that's a silly example because in the world of competitive sports, you do whatever you have to to win. Right, but it's relative. I get that. But, you know, to me, it's that person that can kind of own it and they're not trying to fake it and they're not trying to be like, I'm always right and you're always wrong. They can, you know, they'll they'll help their own team made up, but they'll also help somebody else from the other team up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... I, I just think it's those people that are just trying to be considerate and good all the way around Mm -hmm. and not quite so invested in kind of being right or winning or whatever. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I I just think that's important. Yeah. The kind of person that stands out in my mind as someone who has integrity, it's someone who is not too afraid to admit when they're wrong. Like they do the right thing. Yes. But when they make a mistake, they're also the person that's like, oh, my bad. Like, they'll right. say something and be like, I didn't mean it that way. Or, I, you know, I said this and I didn't mean it like that. Or, you know, or I want to apologize or clarify or whatever. Like, those kind of people, I'm always like, wow, that's really big of them. Yeah. Like, did you... Okay, so have you heard the story that's going around about the the sportscaster, the commentator, baseball game? I'm not into sports, so you're going to have to this walk guy, me through it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a reasonably new story. Um, this guy thought that he was off the air... 
Uh-oh, you know that's the bad. mic was that's hot. A bad start. And he said some mean things. I won't say them on our podcast, but he said some things about a particular group of people. He used a word that we don't use anymore for oh. good reason because it's not good to look at people this way. It's not good to use that kind of language to describe people, whether the mic is hot or not. So he says this, and later in the game, like not that long later, um, he actually he tries to apologize on the air, and he starts saying, earlier I used a word that you know, I'm ashamed of, I'm not proud of it, it doesn't reflect who I am. And it's like, well, but... But is it? Would you have been ashamed of it and felt the need to apologize... If you weren't caught. If you weren't caught, if the mic wasn't hot, right? And so he's sitting there talking about how this doesn't reflect my character and so on and so forth, but he was saying it because the mic was hot, right? If he knew the mic was hot, he never would have said it because he knew, Mm -hmm. you know, not okay. And so it's interesting to me, like to me, that's a... The way that he was trying to apologize for it and trying to kind of save face and everything. I mean, yes, apologize, but integrity would have been, you know. Not saying I've it got, in the first place, I've to got, be honest. I mean, even if he said it, it would have been like, hey, I recognize that this isn't good and I've got some work to do if this is still the kind of thing that I'm saying. Rather sure. than saying, this doesn't reflect how I feel or who I am. Right. It's like, no, say, hey, I messed up and I need to self-reflect and... Yeah. You know, this isn't okay. Oh, that's super. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it was really rough. And I was like, this guy is not. It doesn't help. He's not sounding good at all. Further into your mouth. Yeah. And so I would, I would rather, I mean, I've got a pretty high tolerance for people doing stupid things and making big mistakes. If they have integrity about it and they're willing to, um, to be honest about the situation and where they are. And, you know, I think we could all stand to be a little bit more consistent in the standards that we hold each other to, mm-hmm. um, in the things that we speak up on. Yeah. I think we all get really one-sided and inconsistent on things. And if well, it's if it's our side, we'll defend it. Mm-hmm. But if it's your side, we'll condemn it. Right. You know? Right. And you see that, like, in society where it's a lot of pointing fingers but not wanting to take responsibility. All right. So today we're going to talk a little bit about therapy and what it actually looks like to be in the therapy room. And coming from a professional who's been in the therapy room. Hey. On yeah, both sides of the couch. I have couch. been on both sides, <laughs> on both sides of the couch. Um, and so the first thing, though, to understand is that not all therapists operate from the same model. There are lots of different modalities of therapy. There are lots of modalities of therapy that are supported by research and that are evidence-based and that are good and that work really well, Mm -hmm. Um, but they are different. And so one of the things we're going to do on the podcast over the next several episodes or that we'll do on occasion is we're going to highlight some modalities of therapy and kind of where they come from. Um, how they work, what are the principles behind it, and then I'll give you my kind of my take or my impression on that particular modality. Mm. Now, remember though, anytime we're talking about modalities of therapy, the modality a therapist uses is less important than the therapist themselves. Right. So, regardless of the modality that they're using, regardless of the approach that they have, it's how you connect with it's them. It's how you connect with them. Got it. It's okay. do you feel heard? Do you feel listened to? Do you feel like they understand you? Right. And so. You just keep that in mind. So don't don't just take my take on a modality and say, well, that therapist does this, so I shouldn't go to them if I don't like that modality. Right. Because what matters more is if you like your therapist, basically. 
Um, but that being said, today we're going to highlight cognitive behavioral therapy, or the acronym is CBT. Not to be confused with CBD. No, very different. <laughs> T, very different. as in Terrence, or... Therapy. Therapy. <laughs> cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as I kind of go through this and explain it, because I'm a therapist and I kind of am immersed in this world, I don't know how to see it from a non-therapist perspective. And so Leah is going to ask. Leah is going to ask questions that normal people might ask um, as I do this, or if I say something that normal people wouldn't know what I'm talking about. And I say normal when I say normal people, I just mean people who aren't therapists. Um, so. A little bit of the background first. I feel like it's always important to give credit to the founders. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the origin of cognitive behavioral therapy is with Aaron Beck in the early 1960s. And he noticed that several of his patients seemed to have this internal dialogue that was always running. It's that self-talk is what we would call it today, right? So like, like Gollum and Smeagol. Yeah, well, and now we're getting a little more advanced because now you're talking about internal dialogue that comes from more than one entity. Oh, boy. And that's for our internal family systems day. Oh, but that's, gosh. That's a whole other thing. So uh, let's just think of this as a singular dialogue for now. And uh, essentially, he noticed that pe we, we talk to ourselves all the time. Now, there are a few people out there where they don't actually have this. It's kind of this rare thing. I know a person where they, don't where they just don't have an internal dialogue that runs constantly. Not that they don't have any internal dialogue, but it's not running like all the time necessarily. Uh -huh. And it like blows their minds that everybody else has this. Um, but anyway, that's again, a whole other thing. So what he noticed is that this internal dialogue or this story that people were telling themselves, um, these thoughts they were thinking to themselves, seem to be connected to their feelings. So for example, if someone is super depressed, he noticed that that seemed to be connected to the way that they were thinking and the way they were talking to themselves, mm -hmm. right? That makes sense? Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, totally. It's kind of like you become what you think. That yeah. sort of idea. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that he noticed is that it's hard to change someone's beliefs about themselves by just changing their beliefs and so what he what he was thinking is instead of trying to change beliefs and feelings directly let's work on this internal dialogue and we can change people's beliefs and feelings by changing the internal dialogue because it's easier to change an internal dialogue in the way that you talk to yourself than it is just to change how you feel mm -hmm. so that was his idea and out of this uh observation and a whole bunch of research that came after we got CBT. Originally, it was just cognitive therapy. The behavioral word was added in there later um, because really what CBT is, is it's a combination of intervening with a person's thoughts and also creating a practical plan that will help them get better and improve their feelings and improve their emotional experience. In practice, is this like when people put a rubber band on their wrist and have a bad thought, they snap it? I mean, it's a very behavioral approach. I would say that leans to the behavior side. Right, but that's probably why they would include behavioral into this cognitive behavioral thing. Yeah, because there's some things in there where it's like, oh, I get really depressed when I drink a lot. Okay, maybe you should drink less, right? That's, oh, sure, that's sure. kind of the cognitive behavioral. It's kind of making a plan and being practical. Um, if you go to a really behavioral approach, essentially behaviorism is about people repeating behaviors that get rewarded 
and not repeating behaviors that don't get rewarded. Okay. And so the snapping your wrist with a rubber band when you have a, a negative thought, right, that's a very just behavioral approach. You're trying to condition yourself to not have that thought because it's associated with pain. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's take a look at what this might actually look like in the therapy room. Uh, so let's say a person comes in to see a therapist who's practicing cognitive behavioral therapy, and the presenting problem is postpartum depression, mm-hmm. right? So I had a baby, now I'm depressed. Uh, a cognitive behavioral therapist would probably, like any therapist, spend a little bit of time getting to know the patient, listening to the problem, building a relationship. And then at some point, what the therapist would want to start doing is to help the patient identify a negative thought right, from that internal dialogue Mm -hmm. that seem to be related to the presenting problem, right? Mm -hmm. And these just show up in therapy. As you talk to someone, you'll hear people and you'll say, ooh, that one, you -hmm. know, that doesn't sound quite right or that sounds problematic or that sounds like it could be related to, you know, why you're depressed, Mm -hmm. right? And those things will stand out. So, Leah, I'm going to give, I'm going to ask you for an example (laughs) because this is basically you, right? Time time to be vulnerable. You've been through this, Twice. (laughs) Um, And so what is an example of a real postpartum depression, negative self-talk. Okay, so like this is a constant dialogue sometimes, especially when you're in the thick of postpartum. It's almost sure. like a, you were mentioning constant internal dialogue, and um, when you're when you have postpartum depression, it is a constant negative thread of dialogue. Um, something that stands out to me though um, is uh, if your baby's crying you can't you can't help you're not getting your baby to stop crying you're a failure you're not a good mom you're not giving that baby what it needs the baby would be better off with someone else these are all thoughts that definitely cycle in my head okay when i have a bad night or something yeah so what i would do if i was a therapist and i heard you 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 just shared all those things with me then i would say hey let's let's pause on that for a moment that sounds really rough first of all like i'm really sorry that you're going through this mm-hmm. i mean this can't be easy and then i might ask something like you know you said that you know if the baby's crying and you can't get them to stop crying that that you know that means you're a failure is that right. sound about right mm-hmm. and then what i would start to do is i would try to start helping you essentially discredit that thought okay. and so i might do that through a series of questions where Um, I might ask something like, um, you know, so what are some of the reasons that your baby might be crying, right? Or what are some of the things that you do when your baby cries, Mm -hmm. right? And then you would talk about, well, he might be crying, you know, needs a a new diaper. He needs a diaper. He's hungry. He's cranky. He's got a tummy ache. He's got gas. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Then I might ask him, what would you do? If right. you know, well, his diaper was full, him, I'd change his diaper, I'd feed him, I'd give him his binky, I'd wrap him up snugly. Yeah, and then I might say, well, it sounds like you're actually doing and he's all, still the crying. Are, all the things a great mom would do. Yeah. And they're still crying. And, and we would kind of talk through that and essentially try to get you to come to help you come to the conclusion that you're actually being a really good mom and you're doing all the right things for your baby. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes maybe babies just cry. Right. And in a stereotypical cognitive behavioral therapy situation, you would say, well, I guess I hadn't looked at it that way. Right. Or I would say, um, you know, well, yeah, it's really hard to believe that in the moment. But I know that's true. I know I'm doing everything I can. Mm-hmm. Right. And it would be, you know, it's kind of the idealistic 
unrealistic cognitive behavioral therapy is when you go to therapy and the therapist is just, well, have you tried looking at it this way? And you're like, oh, I no, that know. fixes the whole problem, right? And I'm, I feel better. I'm cured. Um, because really the reaction you get a lot of the time when you're walking people through this is reluctance. Yeah. Is a reluctance to let go of that thought or that feeling where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, now we've discredited it and disproved it and the person is on board with that. But that doesn't always fix the entire problem, right? Right. They might be able to logically understand it, but they don't feel it. Like when you were just telling me like how you can discredit it, it's like, yeah, I can see how that would, I'm being a good mom because I'm changing a diaper and I'm burping the baby and I'm Mm -hmm. snuggling it and I'm feeding it and I'm doing everything I can like a good mom should, but it's not fixing the problem and I'm still anxious and stressed out about it. Like it doesn't change my feelings, even though... And so one of, one of the activities we did in grad school when I was learning about cognitive behavioral therapy was uh, we actually did a log where we kept track of negative thoughts, where if I, you know, recognize myself having a negative thought, what I would do is I would write it down, I would rate the intensity of the thought on a scale of one to 10, and then I would replace it, I would write a replacement thought, something that was more accurate, something that was more true mm-hmm. than kind of my exaggerated negative thought. That's a good right? pra- I, that seems like a good like and it's a great way exercise. to intervene with your self-talk because I mean the the truth is your self-talk is really really powerful mm-hmm. and oftentimes we get away with being really mean to ourselves without even knowing that we're doing it like you would never talk to somebody out loud like yeah. that it helps you see how unreasonable you're being with yourself hmm. um, and so that's one of the things that I think is really really helpful about cognitive behavioral therapy it's great for adjusting your self-talk And the premise is really, if I were to sum up what CBT is, it would be that if you fix your thoughts and you make a practical plan to adjust your behaviors, your feelings will follow. And if I were to get really, really CBT, like if I were to get in really deep and be like, like if CBT were an MLM and I was exaggerating what it could do, I would say (laughs) all of your feelings are caused by your negative thoughts. And so if you change your negative thoughts, all of your bad feelings will go away. That would be the exaggerated kind of idealistic Mm -hmm. version of CBT. Okay. What I like about CBT is I like how practical it is. I like that it's very cognitive. I like that it makes us be realistic with ourselves. Um, It works really well for mood disorders, things like depression and anxiety, because often those are really intertwined with our perspectives on ourselves and how we look at ourselves. And when you adjust your self-talk, you can't help but kind of change the way you look at yourself and your situation over time. Mm-hmm. So CBT is it's a great model. It's got lots of applications. My opinion on CBT is that with it being practical, easy to understand and implement, um, and all those things that I just said, it kind of feels like there are some blind spots around um, emotional attachment to other human beings. It doesn't do as much for kind of the emotional attachment you might have in your relationship. Um, now, you you can kind of get into that with CBT, but as a model, it just doesn't focus on that that much. It focuses so much on perspective and how are you looking at a situation, and it doesn't focus hardly at all on your kind of your emotional experience. So it puts a lot of um, responsibility on your what you can control internally just for yourself as a single person but it doesn't take into account environmental influences kind of a thing no i think it can take it's not so much that it can take into account environmental influences i'm just saying that some you can't think your way out of some problems Mm -hmm. you have to feel your way through some things 
and you have to experience your way through some things. And so with CBT, I feel like it, you kind of stay up in your head mm -hmm. and you don't get into your emotional experience and kind of work through that real time with a therapist. And I feel like that's really important in some cases. I mean, it's, it's like I said earlier, there's a lot of times where, you know, you lead a person through this process where they analyze their negative thought and they're like, oh, you're, you know, you're right. I hadn't thought about it that way. And yet they still feel the way they feel after weeks of talking mm -hmm. about how their thinking is off. It's like CBT just doesn't push people into emotional spaces mm -hmm. very much. And I feel like sometimes that's what people are in therapy for is they need help being pushed into those emotional spaces where they can feel the feelings they need to feel and work their way through it with a person that's going to be really safe and really yeah. supportive. To me, CBT feels a little bit more like a tool to help change your negative thinking than it feels like an entire modality of therapy. Sure. Um, but stay tuned. Uh, when we come back after our break, we're going to talk about something called cognitive distortions, uh, which you got a little bit of an intro to in our last episode. And this is going to give you a little more detail on what kinds of patterns of thinking CBT looks to change. We'll be right back after this. This is an important message from the Law Offices of Ben A. Child & Associates. If you or a loved one are experiencing the adverse effects of childhood, even though you've been an adult for years, you are not alone, and you may be entitled to years of therapy paid for entirely by you. Childhood is inherently traumatic due to being smaller than everyone else and having no control over anything. People who were once children often demonstrate one or more of the following. Discovering toxic patterns of thinking in your late 20s that you used to think were normal. Realizing that you still need approval from people with authority even though you're a grown-ass adult. Becoming just like your parents after swearing you never would. If you have experienced any of these symptoms since your 18th birthday, call Ben A. Child & Associates today for a free consultation to see if you qualify for a lifetime of therapy. Don't wait, or you might just end up passing all your problems on to your own children. Well, if you guys haven't caught on, these are satirical breaks, so please don't look up Ben A. Child Law Firm. It's yeah, not a real thing. We didn't give you a phone number because we didn't want to accidentally give you a real somebody's phone number. <laughs> there is no class action lawsuit against childhood. Nope. Yet. I don't know. Maybe we're starting a thing. Who's okay. to say? And so one of the best parts of cognitive behavioral therapy, to me, is this idea of cognitive distortions. I think this is a super valuable mm -hmm. idea. Yeah. And we actually talked about this a little bit previously. Mm -hmm. So you may be a little familiar with this already. We're going to talk about three today. And the first one is called personalization. And what personalization is, is believing that you are responsible for events, especially negative events, that you aren't actually necessarily even in control of. Okay, so a good example of this would probably be, um, for me, with Todd not sleeping. Todd's our youngest. He's two years old, and he's a horrible sleeper. And if he had a bad night of sleep, I think, oh, no, what did I do? I'm a, I'm, I'm, I failed at this. It's because I didn't he didn't eat enough at dinner and I didn't make him eat enough at dinner. I should have tucked him in better. Oh, he's uncomfortable and hot because of the jammies I put him in. It's my fault that he's not sleeping well at night. I had caffeine when I was pregnant. Yeah, no kidding, right? That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. And so 
think about it, what would be a less distorted way of thinking through that situation? Well, like what I would probably tell myself inside my head when I've noticed that I'm having this like crazy thought that if only I could just do the right thing, then it'll fix it. I could just acknowledge that, hey, kids don't really sleep very well in general. Like there's nothing wrong with your child. You have done everything that you can. You, They are fed. They are safe. They are cozy. Like, And sometimes they just don't sleep well and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> So in some ways, I could see a person thinking, well, that feels pretty negative to say this isn't in my control. There's not really anything I can do about it or I've tried everything and I guess this is what it is. Um, But isn't it also kind of nice, like a little bit freeing to not have to have everything be your fault? Oh, yeah. What a relief. (laughs) Like sometimes it just sucks or it is what it is and you don't have to take the blame for everything. But there's a reason sometimes when we have these cognitive distortions Uh, There's a reason that we're doing it that kind of runs deeper than just kind of a negative pattern of thinking. Mm. And this one with with personalization specifically, um, what people are really doing is they're taking the blame for things that aren't really their fault, right? I'm making it about me. I'm making it my fault, even though it may not be. Mm -hmm. And so why would we do that? Well, if something is your fault that kind of implies that you have control over it. Right. If it's my fault causing it, then I can fix it. Right. I can do something different. I can be different. I can do better. Mm -hmm. And that will make the problem go away. And so it gives you this illusion of everything is in my control at the Mm -hmm. expense of you feeling crappy about yourself all the time. And this isn't necessarily something you're doing consciously. It, It can be a subconscious process. Um, But one of the things that we have to do to get rid of this personalization, cognitive distortion, is to be okay with acknowledging that there are things we can't control and there are problems that we can't solve. And if we can't be okay with that, then we kind of keep doing this thing where we try to blame ourselves or blame others. So there's some things that run a little bit deeper underneath these cognitive distortions, like the feelings we have about control and Mm -hmm. being in control or not in control, right? And that influences the negative thoughts. Okay. All right, so the next cognitive distortion we're going to talk about is emotional reasoning. Mm -hmm. And so what emotional reasoning is, because just saying emotional reasoning tells you (laughs) literally nothing, um, is it's the assumption that when you feel a certain way, that reality reflects how you feel. Okay, so for an example, just going with the whole mom thing, I guess, for personal experience. But basically, it's a, I feel like a bad mom, so I am a bad mom. Yes. I feel like a bad mom, maybe for no reason at all other than, oh, I didn't get the laundry done, or I didn't get everything done that I wanted to, or whatever it may be. But I, out feel, of I feel crummy, so I am crummy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so uh, let's take the, you know, I feel like a bad mom... Therefore, I'm a bad mom. What would you replace that with? Well, I know for me, a personal mantra that I'm trying to work on is you are not your feelings. And that's something I actually have to tell myself like consciously when I'm doing that to myself, because it's not just with motherhood. I'm a bad wife. You know, I feel like a bad wife. I am a bad wife, stuff like that. And a lot of times I have to just tell myself, you are not your feelings. You are experiencing feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes I have to remind myself um, that, you know, feelings are feelings and feelings are real, but feelings don't necessarily reflect reality. 
Okay, so three of three. Our third cognitive distortion today is should statements. So pretty straightforward. Uh, it's anytime you say I should this or I, sh- I should do this, I should be that, I should, I should, I should. Mm. Um, I had a professor in grad school that told us to stop shooting all over ourselves. <laughs> That's good. Kind of gross, but I, mean, I love that. Stop shooting all over you. <laughs> so one other thing to mention about should statements is what you're really doing here is using the word should to imply that you're not good enough. Okay. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And essentially when you do it, it's this vibe of I am falling short all the time. All the time. Right. And so the word should, I mean, I think there are times when you can use it. Mm -hmm. It could be like a motivation. Like I, I should get the laundry done today or something like that. Is that different? Yeah. I mean, that could go, that could be good or it could not be good um it, it kind of depends on the tone and the vibe of it like oh, i should get the laundry done today and if that leads to me feeling crappy that i haven't gotten the laundry done yet it's probably the wrong should vibe okay. but if it's like oh hey i've got some time right now i should do laundry okay right and it's kind of this motivating like this is what i should do with this or i should do that mm-hmm. you know um but it's when it's used to imply deficiency or when it's used as kind of a getting down on yourself, like, oh, I should do this, or oh, I should do that, or we oh, should. Oh, okay. Right? So, like, for example, it could be you're sitting on the couch enjoying a rest, and all you're thinking are the things you should be doing instead of sitting here resting. Yes. Okay, so, like, that, I totally see how that could be toxic, where you're your body needs a rest or you're giving yourself a break and all you can think are all of your lists of to-dos and, oh, I shouldn't be resting, I should be doing... I should be mowing the lawn. I should be cleaning the dishes. There are dishes on the sink, in the sink. I should go clean those instead of sitting here resting. The thing is, is it's, I mean, it's pretty guilt inducing. Totally. And so I think we just have to be careful about the vibe and the number of times like that the frequency. we're trying to should. Yeah. Because I can see it being a, an internal dialogue for an entire day for some people like i know i've I've had days like that where it feels like that is my internal dialogue and it feels really crappy by the end of the day Mm because you don't you don't even get credit for what you did do because all you were doing was thinking about things you should do i i think as human beings of course it's always true that we could be better but i think we have to walk this line between being good enough Mm-hmm. And being okay with, hey, you know what, I'm good enough right now, and also trying to be better. Because if we're always just saying, nope, I'm good enough, don't need to do anything no differently, don't, no, I mean, those people are dangerous. Yikes. Um, but it's also pretty dangerous to ourselves if we're walking around and never get to kind of sit in that glow of being good enough. Like, yeah. that's not... And so I think, I think we've got to find a balance there. And so um, I find that using these should statements too often tips the balance in the direction of feeling kind of toxically guilty all the time. That makes sense. So that should give you a little window into what cognitive distortions look like. Um, You'll see these pop up in the future in other Mm -hmm. episodes. We'll talk about these more as we go because I think it's a really, really valuable tool to help us kind of guide our self-talk. I I think sometimes our self-talk just runs away with us Mm -hmm. and we don't actually know what we're looking for when we try to correct it or make our self-talk 
mm-hmm. a little bit more healthy or a little bit better. And one of the things that can be really helpful is to go through a list of cognitive distortions and pick your favorites. Like, what are my top three on this list that I do all the time? Yeah. And then try to be more aware of those and give yourself a chance to change some of those patterns of thinking. Yes. Right, time to draw a bee from the hive. Yeah, and Getting it's my the turn. End. It's your turn. Go my for it. My turn to draw a bee from the hive today. And our bee is be grateful. And the action with our bee today is to write down three things you're grateful for and read them once a day for a week. That's a really fun thing to do. That sounds really good, actually. Yeah, and it's good to be deliberate about it. Sometimes gratitude doesn't come and find you. I mean, the ways that gratitude comes and finds you is when really bad things happen in your life and you you know, you don't know what you have until you lose it sort of oh, thing. Sure, yeah. And so this is a way to access gratitude without a catastrophe. Yeah, and it's a, it's a really great way to start your day or end your day because, I mean, it, if you get to write down these three things and for a whole week you read these three things in the morning or at night or both, like what a great little ray of sunshine, you know? The look on my face when you said both. I'm like, both? (laughs) That's asking too much. (laughs) All right. So what am I grateful for? Yeah. What are you going to... Are you going to do three things or just one? Oh, just one. Um, But you're going to write down three things. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hold me to it. I'm holding you to it. Um, My one thing... So I'm going to do kind of a weird one. Uh, I think (laughs) it's weird. But I'm grateful that my kids hold up a mirror now and then for me to see myself in so I can, like, check myself. Like, when you hear your kid say something exactly the way that you would say it and you hear it and you're like, ooh, that's not good. Like, when Jack talks to Todd, this is a five-year-old talking to a two-year-old, and he says something and I can hear my tone and my phrasing and the way I would say it in the way Jack is saying it. I'm like, yeah, that's not such a good look. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm just grateful that I leak things out on my kids and then they show it back to me so that I can correct myself and hopefully be a better example. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I would hate the idea of being so unaware of how I was coming across that, you know, I didn't find out until they were adults <laughs> what I was doing. <laughs> but, you know. It's painful in the moment, but I'm great. <clears throat> I'm grateful to get that that input. Wow, that is a very <laughs> that is a very complex gratitude to write down. That's gonna make me being like I'm grateful for food sound really shallow. Is that what you were gonna say? Like just food in general? <laughs> in general, I'm so glad there's food. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, so food wasn't really your thing? Was <laughs> no, it? it wasn't. But I was just saying is now 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 saying something super simple would seem. Just silly. It kind of seems like food was the thing, though, because we just paused there for a second to collect our thoughts, and you ate. I ate some broccoli. broccoli. (laughs) Uh, No, so what I would write down for my gratitude is I'm super grateful that we get to spend all of this time as a family together. So even though it's a hard time, and even though this is stressful in other ways, I'm so grateful that we have all of this free time together as a family to do fun things. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's really great, especially since it happened in the summer, right? Yeah. Best time ever. 
That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. And if you like today's episode, follow the podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram for more great ideas. Also check out our blogs and learn more about us at thoughthoney.com. Have a great day and remember to just be yourself. See you next time.